Hello, and welcome to the Sea Store Decisions live podcast. I'm Isabel Gustafson, Associate Editor of Sea Store Decisions magazine. Thank you for joining us. Please sit back and enjoy as we talk all things convenience retailing. I'm here with Kara Nielsen, who is the Director of Food and Drink for WGSN, a trend forecasting and analytics firm. Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. That's great to hear. It's, of course, a crazy landscape right now for everyone, for all industries, and food and beverage are no exception. I'd love to talk with you about some food and beverage trends that I've noticed and hear about what you're tracking at WGSN as well. Great. Well, you're absolutely right. This has been obviously an unprecedented situation for everyone and every industry. And, you know, we're still feeling the repercussions, but there's a lot of innovation happening. There's a lot of really exciting sort of business pivots and people are really taking their food very seriously. And it's really exciting. It's definitely true. One thing that I've heard a few retailers say is that customers are reaching for more comfort foods during the pandemic. Is this something that you've noticed as well? Oh, it absolutely is. We actually wrote a report in the early days of the pandemic about the comfort food brands that were really seeing a lot of success in the beginning. And, you know, we all read the articles about everybody running to their favorite breakfast cereal the rise of a lot of cookie eating. I think Oreos were really becoming a hot item. But I think that's exactly, you know, not only the reason foods are comforting, I should add, is because they are often very nostalgic. They remind us of of good times, of our past, of our childhood. So they're also often very nourishing and are things that, you know, people make for families. So when you think about uh, the quarantines because of the coronavirus pandemic and people being with their families and eating more meals, a lot of those comfort foods really fit right in. You know, things like macaroni and cheese, spaghetti and meatballs. I think there's probably a lot of pizza that got eaten. Definitely. And that's certainly good news for convenience stores as well, which already stock many of those items. Right. And I think convenience stores have also experienced a new set of consumers coming to their doors, Um, people who are unable to go to grocery stores, who weren't able to wait in line. I mean, we really were impacted, like how we actually find the food that we're going to eat. And I have been hearing globally that convenience stores have really become a real boon for consumers, a place where they can go and are, you know, buying more items than they may have previously, enjoying the various hot and fresh foods that were available. And I think it's going to be, I think there's a real opportunity in the future for convenience stores to play a bigger role for more consumers at more eating occasions. Speaking of eating occasions, one thing that convenience stores had been working to add more of, and one thing that had obviously been a long-growing trend is healthier foods. Do you think it's still important to offer these healthy items as well? Well, absolutely. And just because of of partially that point and new users, you know, the traditional convenience store user, and I'm sure there's so many different types depending on, you know, the store and where they're located, but there's an opportunity to really provide some more of those kind of basic nutrition items, but also just more nutritious snacks, uh, more convenience foods that offer nutrition. We wrote a a report at WGSN on the rise of new instant noodle cups. 
So when you think of like instant noodles or like a cup of noodle or an instant ramen, um, you might think they have too much sodium or they're overprocessed. Well, we're, we're seeing brands that are putting out noodle cups that are clean labeled that maybe have, uh, they're fresh and you buy them from the refrigerator. They actually have real meat stock. This is the kind of opportunity where it's the same sort of format, like a soup cup, or it could you know be turned into a soup item that someone buys and warms up in a microwave in the convenience store. But there are ways of making it a little more healthful with more protein, fresher vegetables, cleaner label, different sizes, um, perhaps less indulgent sizes. That's just one example. But having more protein items, more things that meet kind of basic nutrition throughout the day is also a neat opportunity for those people who now are turning to these stores for more of those you know, kind of those moments when they need something that's going to keep them going sort of combining the comfort food trend with the healthier, better for you, clean label trends as well. Yes, absolutely. Another thing that you sort of touched on is increased snacking, which we've seen has been affected by the pandemic as well. Have you tracked this trend? Definitely. I mean, snacking is sort of the the new American way of eating. And, And in many ways, the fact that we're at home now, most many of us, you know, are working from home or certainly our regular meal times or where we get meals have been impacted. If you are an essential worker and you're working all day, you may need to bring different things to eat with you or stop at a convenience store on your way to buy food that you're going to be able to eat because you don't have food service where you work, for example, or the food service you counted on has been closed. So we're also seeing people try to delineate the day, create day parts sort of in their own mind um, at home. And so snacking is one of those things like, am I eating a morning snack or is this an afternoon snack? Can I give myself a break? Obviously, we're kind of like work and home and family management is all blending in together. So those snacks also serve as a personal break or a little me moment, as well as a way to fuel up. One of the things we've really seen is sort of the rise of egg protein as a helpful snack. And this has been a trend coming for a number of years, not only uh, in part because of Starbucks and that sous vide egg bite item that the company has successfully introduced. We see more of these available in different sort of retailers for people to eat at home. But there's also more egg protein in things like egg protein fortified oatmeal cup or um, a bag of snacks like a chip or a cheese curl that also has egg protein in it. So that's one of those ways where we're not really changing the snacking item, but we're increasing the amount of protein by using like a natural healthful ingredient like eggs that people really understand and feel are good for them and offer them important nutrition. And that sort of plays into the trend of finding different ways to get protein from plant-based sources, for example, right? Well, the plant-based source for sure, you know, we're, we're looking at all kinds of protein sources. So whether it's from eggs or whether it's coming from a dairy source, like a high protein milk. I mean, we've certainly seen more of these filtered milks that are high protein that are also ending up in like single serve beverages. So if you stop at the convenience store and you want to have like a chocolate shake made with dairy milk, you may be able to get one that's been filtered to have high protein, low lactose, lower sugar. We're also seeing on the plant-based side, a huge increase in plant-based dairy alternatives, namely oat milk. Oats are a very sustainable ingredient to grow. You use six times less water to produce oats than you do almonds. 
And oat milk recently is just coming in as sort of one of the fastest growing plant milks. And we've seen oat milk, obviously a jug of oat milk, uh, is something you might take home and use for your coffee or on cereal or for cooking. But there's also a lot of coffee drinks, canned and bottled coffee beverages that are presenting themselves as lattes made with oat milk. So that's something we're definitely seeing. And, and then some of those also have some protein additions to them. And so that's been really interesting on the plant dairy side. We're now starting to see oat milk cheese as well as oat milk ice creams, which are really delicious, by the way, because they have some of the carbohydrates that make oats so tasty to begin with. So it's a really great ingredient to use for frozen desserts, which you know also apply to frozen novelties, for example. I expect we're going to see those next summer for sure. Do you think that oat milk will continue on its trajectory? Yes, absolutely. The people that make oat milk, the various producers are increasing their capacity. They're looking to expand globally, including into China. And the positive benefits of oat milk from the sustainability and environmental point of view, as well as its smooth and creamy taste, are real benefits. Now, oat milk doesn't have a ton of protein, but most of the other non-dairy milks, they don't have protein either. So do look for protein fortification in some of these beverages going forward, if they're going to be positioned to compete with dairy milk in that way. But if you're seeing oat milk in like a single serve chocolate shake or a protein shake or a coffee drink, for the most part, those aren't places where we're really looking for protein anyway. So it's not so much of a, an issue. But we will see like more yogurt cups. Uh, I think oat milk is really going to be a big trend next year for sure. Speaking of coffee trends, obviously seasonal drinks are always big, but do you think that the pandemic has affected consumer sentiment towards seasonal items, for example? They really have. And I think we go back to where we started with this notion of comfort and looking for some normalcy in a very difficult time that is, you know, really pushing people to the limit. Being able to return to your pumpkin spice latte, for example, or your favorite apple cider drink of of the fall season. It just resonates in a way that, I mean, we've always been interested in doing it. We wait every year for our, our favorites, our seasonal favorites to come up at every season. But this year, all of the pumpkin spice drinks were released on the early side due to customer demand and customer interest. Also, as convenience stores are trying to drive traffic, and give consumers a reason to stop in, having those specialty seasonal offerings uh, as early as possible gives people more time to get there, to enjoy those drinks, and to enjoy them over the course of the season. We put together a forecast on autumn flavors that we were seeing, and they included, of course, pumpkin spice, but we also saw pumpkin being blended with other ingredients, many taken from the dessert space which is always fun. So I started my culinary career as a pastry chef. So when I see a beverage that's an apple pie flavored something, I really get excited about it. And I think that's been a really fun trend. For example, Dairy Queen in Canada has a pumpkin shake that also has cookie butter in it. And if you remember the cookie butter trend, uh, that came out a number of years ago, similar to a Nutella, but it's a spread that has like ground up spice cookies in them. It was originally from Belgium, and now we're seeing that cookie butter as an ingredient in a shake with pumpkin. And I think those kinds of fusions are really exciting 
consumers understand them. Our Gen Z, our millennial, even the alphas, our youngest demographic, have been raised in a world where there's a lot of fusion ingredients, a lot of novelty ingredients, and it's kind of fits with that fun seasonal space where, you know, you might not want to have one of these every week, but it's really fun to try. And so having something that kind of takes you on a journey through your senses is also why these are so important right now when we're really, you know, stressed out and dealing with some difficulties. Another good example of different occasions. Yes, yes. It seems though that they are getting more indulgent, which is interesting. They are leaning indulgent. And as I was even describing um, the Dairy Queen drink with the, you know, the pumpkin and the, the shake element and the cookie butter, you know, these are definitely on the treat side. In that case, it was very similar to something you might see in an ice cream store. Obviously, it's Dairy Queen. From the coffee space, though, for example, Pete's Coffee has a pumpkin spice oat milk latte um, that it's serving, kind of similar to the whole vein. We've also seen the non-dairy companies put out different flavors of drinks, a maple oat milk, for example, I've seen. I've also seen a pumpkin spice nog, kind of in an eggnog version, coming from a plant-based brand. So although they are indulgent, it is an indulgence that everybody wants, just, you know, regardless of their dietary restrictions or their dietary habits. But I think also the size is something where if there's an option for people, if this is a a drink that is being served and you can order the sizes, smaller sizes are certainly going to be something that appeal to people. But I think right now people are are happy to have, um, like I said, a little indulgent escape at least a few times a day. You know, this is perhaps an afternoon item, an evening item that people can enjoy. Yeah, that's so true. You know, there's a donut shop here in Cleveland that always has a line out the door and they always have interesting flavors. I think they have a cookie butter flavor right now, actually. And my one complaint is that the donuts are huge and sometimes you just want to have a little bit, right? Right. I mean, think of all the times we've seen people cut a donut in half or in bites uh, and you just take the one bite because you want to try many. So I think size is definitely something, you know, again, goes back to that healthful. You can enjoy a really delicious indulgent item If it's smaller, it fits into your sort of overall plan for the day. And I think food service has a real opportunity to do that. And it also can be a way of addressing prices. You know, if it's a smaller item, but made with perhaps more expensive ingredients, the balance can be in the size. And that's something we'll be watching to see if that happens. We also know people love their abundance. So it's it's a balancing act. You also touched on younger generations being more interested in fusion foods, in different exciting combinations. What can you tell me about the increasing popularity of fusion foods or of international foods overall? Yes, it's definitely something that we've been seeing in the restaurant space. And restaurant, I'll say that broadly, it pop-ups, food that you would get at the farmer's market from a stand, food truck food. There's just been this huge variety of, of foods that you can get, even at the grocery store where you know they have like four different areas in the prepared food section where you can get a different taco or a different pizza or a different soup item. Convenience stores are also enable, you know, able to do some of these things. We have been writing about condiments a lot 
when we think about going into a recession, condiments are obviously a very affordable way of adding lots of flavor to food. Also, in a moment when we can't go to some of our favorite global restaurants, a way of recreating those restaurant meals and flavors that we used to get is by using condiments at home, whether it's in a dish that we're cooking or whether it's something that we use to adjust something that you know we've put together or purchased. I think for convenience stores, considering the wide variety of people that could come in any day, and whether it's adding a condiment to an egg sandwich or to a sort of plain taco or to even a drink, you can see that having these sort of mix-in opportunities really enables people to experiment, to play, to blend flavors as well. For example, we've been writing about chili crisp. This is a condiment that came out of China, and it's basically a chili oil with crunchy bits of chili in it. It also has this texture that people really love. But imagine, you know, a line of two or three different chili crisps with different chilies in them. You know, that's a, a really fun and kind of interesting way. It doesn't have to be on the menu forever. It could be a limited time offer. But that's a really fun way of sort of adjusting the flavor and, and something that young people are very used to now. They love the customization aspect of that. Thinking also about dipping, that whole dipping experience, whether it's dipping your French fry into a sauce or dipping a chip or a crudite into some hummus, we also see condiments and different just flavors of things are really fun in that kind of interactive way where you can kind of mix and match and then adjust the amount that you want for yourself. Some of the global flavors that we're seeing in condiments that also could you know, work well in an application are obviously lots of different, the chili peppers of the world never, never get tired, but African peri-peri is one flavor that we're seeing. American hatch chilies, the green chili from New Mexico, which has a very seasonal element, but we're also seeing a really cool kind of spicy parsley and chili dip coming from Yemen that is spelled Z-H-O-U-G. Very difficult to pronounce, so I'm not even going to take a stab at it. But it just shows that there's a whole world of ingredients out there that can be used for adding flavor. And whether it's flavor to condiments that then go on a burger or a hot dog or something like that, it's a lot of fun. But from the authentic standpoint, I also wanted to give a shout out to some really neat tacos that we're seeing. And whether, you know, tacos are very beloved, there's some new taco styles that are getting a lot of attention. And so I think that's also a fun place for operators to look for inspiration, whether it's tacos, new styles of, of ramen soup, Indian items, for example. There's a lot of Indian breads that are very popular, very familiar and friendly, but they can create like an Indian flavored sandwich really easily. So it, it's often not as difficult as it may seem to add a bit of authentic global character to a dish by just picking up different components and then playing with the flavor profiles. Something that would still be comfortable and familiar to a broad consumer base, right? Right, especially if it's in a format, like think about the sandwich. There's so many different styles, you know, and even thinking about a wrap sandwich and changing up the outer, you know, the outer part. What's the carrier on that wrap? You know, is it a, some kind of tandoori chicken and it's wrapped in like a naan bread? These are food items that we've seen a lot already in grocery grab-and-go cases and probably already in a lot of convenience stores. But I think they're certainly worth exploring from like, how could you create a sandwich or a wrap 
and add some global profiles? How could you have a play on a taco? Um, and is it like a taco filling that could also then, you know, be put on French fries, for example? People do like to have fun and it's sort of like taking those components and mixing and matching them. Especially, you know, if you have something that the store down the street doesn't have, right? Exactly. I mean, if you can create a signature item that's going to bring in business, if you can create a promotion, perhaps it's even exploring different regions of the world over the course of a quarter and something that fits with the season is certainly a way of driving interest. We've seen a lot of the larger quick service restaurants do this very successfully, oftentimes in summer to you know, bring in new traffic, whether it's through a drink or a dessert or some sort of sandwich item. So I think there, there's definitely some nice territory to explore depending on perhaps the most successful item that a store chain offers and how can they even add you know, some more interest to it. Now, I think we ought to touch on alcohol. There's been a lot of talk about people drinking more during quarantine. Is this something that you've seen? Or what about the non-alcoholic trend? Which one do you think is expected to continue? Or are they just different consumers? You know, that's a great question. Because we have seen certainly an increase in the consumption of beverages. In fact, I was reading an article yesterday that a report, a research report came out that showed that people self-admittedly, so these were people answering a survey, were drinking, you know, up to 14, 15% more than they were pre-pandemic in the course of a week, which is considerable, you know, for most people, especially because we're not going to parties and we're not going out to restaurants in a lot of cases. I think some of that is leveling off. You know, the shock of the pandemic is, is past and now we're into a management and survival kind of point of view. So I already have anecdotally heard about people moderating some of, some of that behavior. And as we go towards the holiday season, I'm sure we're going to still be enjoying our spirits. There's a lot of actually really interesting things happening in that space alongside of kind of the standard alcohol. Certainly uh, liquor stores and, and grocery stores and convenience stores that sell alcohol have been selling more. So people can drink it at home in part because we aren't going out for happy hour. But there's also a lot of innovation in, in this space, both from the alcohol side, as well as the low and no alcohol, which you pointed out. One trend we've been tracking is canned cocktails. Canned cocktails are similar to the canned wine that we saw a number of years ago kind of come out and you know, cause some raised eyebrows of like wine in a can. You know, how is that possible? And it's turned out to be certainly a fun, portable, easy to take with you kind of item. But now we're seeing canned cocktails, and these are usually lower alcohol cocktails than you might get at a bar, for example. Some also have lower sugar, which is a concern for many consumers. But we have both big brands and sort of smaller artisan brands are putting out canned cocktails. Jack Daniels now has some. There's Kahlua canned cocktails. And then there's more artisan botanical-oriented canned cocktails. Obviously, hard seltzer is sort of in between the canned cocktail and like a lower alcohol beer. That also has really come out of that seltzer trend of seeing the hard seltzers. And now there's hard seltzer, there's hard tea, there's hard coffee, there's hard kombucha, all in cans. So that in itself, I think, is a real opportunity for convenience stores that perhaps didn't you know, have an opportunity or the space to carry, you know, traditional liquor bottles, 
but you can offer a convenience product that many people are enjoying like out on walks or at picnics. And then of course, just it does dial all the way down to zero alcohol. There has been a huge uptick in the number of brands that are offering zero alcohol beer. So no, you know, zero proof beer. And they're much more interesting than they were in the past. Obviously, there's always been a few, but there's so many more now. But we're also seeing lower or zero alcohol sparkling wine, cocktails. It will be interesting. It's definitely a trend. We think that will grow because people still enjoy that moment and they enjoy the experience of sitting down with something that feels like a cocktail. But we really are recognizing that the, that amount of alcohol, we often just don't even want the calories, not to mention the buzz. Right. Yeah. And for convenience, what's more convenient than not having to mix your own drink, right? Exactly. And especially, yeah, we've seen restaurants obviously pivot and, and they're now able in many places to sell cocktails out the door in bottles, usually bottled cocktails. But, you know, those are usually kind of on the pricier side and they're made just as you would. But having a ready to go cocktail, you know, if you can buy like a four pack and have it in your fridge, or it's certainly something for convenience stores to sell individually, people can pick the cocktail that they prefer. There's a lot of benefits, and especially with so much social socializing happening outdoors right now, and probably in the years to come, although I know winter is coming here, so that may change some of it. But just on just an everyday convenience standpoint, you're even having a party and being able to put out a variety of pre-done cocktails is certainly fun and, and fun for millennials and Gen Z, the younger drinkers who just love experimenting and mixing and matching. Great. Well, I guess looking further down the line, is there anything that you think retailers should be keeping an eye on that you haven't mentioned? Yes, there's one thing I want to tell retailers about that I'm really excited about, which is there's a new ice cream brand out. It's called Brave Robot, and it's an actual non-dairy ice cream, but it's made with cultured dairy protein. And this is part, this is sort of the part of the opening wave of cultured meat and dairy products that are seemingly very futuristic, but actually coming soon. These are not plant-based. This isn't made with almonds or rice or anything. Actually, there's a company called Perfect Day that is creating dairy proteins in a fermentation tank using yeast to replicate with no animals involved and creating a dairy protein that then can be turned into an ice cream and it is about the closest thing to using real dairy milk. So as we think about our plant-based consumers, the rise of people turning to non-dairy alternatives and plant-based foods for a host of reasons, including health reasons, look out for some of these really exciting solutions that are coming from the food technology space. We're also going to see some of the larger ice cream brands offering versions of their, well, basically sub-brands using these dairy proteins. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for there to just be scale for these to really become mainstream. But as we think about 2021 and 2022, I would say by 2022, we'll see a lot more of these products and also some of the actual like cultured meat products for example, some of which are things like fish and chicken that will instantly go into like a chicken nugget or a fish stick. And the fact that there was no fish involved or a chicken involved will probably by that point be very attractive to a lot of consumers. Mm. 
Well, there's certainly a lot of exciting things to look forward to in food and drink. Anything else that you'd like to add? No, I just think this is, um, it's definitely, these are tough times and, you know, it's widely believed we're heading into a long-term recession. So we're also really focusing on how, you know, brands can offer value and, and support people with basics. We know that certainly focusing on the most important things, making sure that there's a range of, of prices and options, but that they still obviously taste good and hit some of those spots like comfort, but also adventure kind of going back to basics in that way. So focus on that. That's good advice. Well, thank you so much again for your time and for sharing your insights with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much, Isabel. You've been listening to the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. For more, visit cstoredecisions.com.